This show is for everyone working at the coalface. Digital. Business. Marketing. Social. This is At The Coalface with your host, Jason Greenwood. So uh, for everybody out there watching at the coalface, we've got Peter Ratcliffe, um, head of digital at the retail apparel group out of Australia. And uh, most of the people that work in the digital space down in this part of the world know you, Peter. Um, you, you're a bit of a luminary for sure. Uh, you know, you, you, you do speak at a lot of events. You do put yourself out there. You're one of the few, actually, uh, I think, in the digital space down here that do put yourself out there. Um, you are quite a digital leader, um, and I think you know, um, you, you, like me, you're not you're not young. We're neither of us young anymore, and uh, uh, and uh. so we're we're trying to bring up the young bucks. So, um, thank you so much for joining us, and you know, maybe you can give just a, a brief into intro of yourself before we sort of get into the the whole Q and A piece. Yeah, yeah. Look, you know, originally my background was IT. Yeah. Um. So I've grown up, you know, ever since in the early twenties in doing IT and working with the business, and it was always a business form of IT rather than the technical side. So uh, driving transformation, driving change throughout the business, and and slowly as as it grew, um, we got more and more involved with digital as well. And in my last role at Apparel Group, um, John Marshall, one of the owners, put um, digital and IT under me, and um, so. I was one of these people for John who got things done, so mm -hmm. he just wanted things done. So yeah, he, he could put the two and two together. So then we melded the two. I did some extra study on the marketing side of things. So I knew that I was up there, you know, understanding all of that. So business, marketing, IT, put the three together and it was the perfect match. Yeah. And, and then that just grew from there. Yeah, and it, you know, it's funny because when I, you know, in my old consulting days, it was funny because when you go into organizations, especially larger companies that do have a, a pretty solid digital team, a pretty solid IT team, a solid marketing team, there's a lot of different organizational structures that companies operate under. Sometimes mm. e-com sits under the CMO, sometimes it sits under the CDO, sometimes it's not even in the C-suite at all, sometimes it's mm. under IT. There's a whole lot of organizational structures, I think, out there that businesses utilize when it comes to digital and digital transformation in the business, particularly around e e-commerce and, and the digital yeah. trans, uh, transactional channels. In your experience, what has been the best, I guess, org structure that you've seen to see where digital and e-com in particular sits within an organization? I think, you know, I think, you know, when e-com started and digital started, nobody knew where to put it. Yep. I mean, and businesses were having a real struggle with, you know, where to put it. Do we put it under marketing? Do we put it under IT? Do we put it by itself? And then a lot of people, a lot of marketing people, um, they weren't technical people, so they didn't want the technical side of it, and yet it was thrust up in, into, into marketing. Whereas the other side of it, you had technical people who people were saying that you're too technical, you don't know how to run a business, so, you know, and we're putting it under there. So you didn't get that ideal, um, you know, sweet spot. I think, I think that the way we've got it set up here now in, uh, in Retail Apparel Group, the digital team is a shared service for all brands. Yes. So while we have a separate IT team who just looks after the back-end systems, we have a separate marketing team for each brand who drives traffic, drives the brand, drives the vision of the brand, mm -hmm. but we have a digital team that executes all the technology, technology for digital. 
Yeah. And I think we found that to be the perfect um, sweet spot for us uh, mm -hmm. with our business because we do have five brands and we can actually make that into a shared service and have the best of the best people within that team. Yeah. So, so it does work for us. If it was a single brand, then I was, I'd be looking at a way where I'd be melding IT, marketing and digital together somehow that it relates, reports to the one person. So you have a single vision and a single, a single way forward. Yeah, I think that's, you know, it's the way a lot of businesses are going. Now, where it starts to get a little gray, and, and I'd like your thoughts on this, is where you have technologies that have historically sat under IT, uh, where they actually play a much bigger role in the digital transformation and digital customer experience than they ever have before. So whether that be a PIM tool, whether that be the ERP that needs to feed, feed critical um, product and attribute data into a PIM tool or to the front end or whatever the case may be, we've got what has historically been considered very traditional IT hardcore IT systems that now they're so essential to the digital experience that you really, you, as a digital person, you kind of have to understand them all and understand where they, they fit within the galaxy of commerce systems. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, for me personally, you know, I consider myself having an almost perfect 50-50 split of technical capability and marketing capability. Because mm -hmm. I've played both roles in businesses yep. before. And, and I think that actually serves me well as a digital specialist because I have to understand those both at quite an intimate level um, to do my job really well nowadays. Um, and especially when it comes to marketing automation and, and how how do you see that evolving moving forward where traditional IT is almost being pushed out in the sense of in the favor of, of digital as, a, as an umbrella, I guess, practice, if you will? Yeah, well, I think uh, you read a lot about where the CMO now is going to spend more on technology than the CIO, you know. And look, I think you can mold the two together. Like you, your experience, you've got both. A lot of marketers don't have that. Yeah. But a lot of marketers coming up through um, through uni and so on are getting technical experience. So they are starting to teach that. So knowing that it is part of the, the digital space now that you do have to understand technology. Um, but I think the way to move, the, the way it's moving forward with cloud-based systems now anyway, and good integration platforms, you can have IT still looking after the back-end systems with the ERP and so on. You can have a cloud-based PIM acting as a software and as a service where you don't need to be technical. They're just buying it using a system in the cloud. And you have the integration back-end piece like a middleware like you know Fusion Factory or something where you've got IT looking up, making sure the data's going through to the cloud-based PIM, and that's all you need. Yeah. So you can, and then IT has nothing to do with the cloud-based PIM. It's got the digital team looking after that. It's their data. It's their system. They're dealing with it. There's no upgrades. There's no nothing. It's all taken care of in the cloud. And you've just got that back-end piece, which the, the integration's working, and then that's supported by your back-end IT team. Yeah, and I, I think, think that's, like that you, works. You know, I think as you said, you consider the digital team in your organization as a service. To, to the rest of the business, yeah. um, and I think IT has to see themselves in the same way. They have to see yes, themselves right. as servicing digital and other teams within the business, yeah. and, and if every team sees themselves that way as a, a holistic part of the whole, um, then the, there generally isn't going to necessarily be these fiefdoms, because historically what I've seen is IT people, um, and it's, it's, it's becoming less so, but they've really held really tightly to that IT function, yeah. And, yeah. and they don't want anybody to know anything technical because they feel mm -hmm. that that's very much a threat to their dominion um, oh. and, and I think that, that we're slowly starting to move away from that as yeah. younger and younger IT people come into play but it just can't be siloed anymore. Oh no, I mean years ago 
people would think that IT would keep it all together just because they didn't want to let go or they wanted to protect their jobs. A lot of the time it was for standards and for systems in place that they wanted to keep standards to make sure things were done properly and data was, was formatted properly and so on. But these days with the cloud, there's no need for that. I mean, I could go out now and get us, like we've done this, we've got a cloud-based team mm -hmm. that we have the, the ERP feeds into that. We enhance all of that data in the PIM and then it goes out to, to our websites and all of our different channels. And it's really got IT have no involvement, no nothing, and then, then they're fine with that because we're controlling it. And the standards are set by the, the SaaS-based service, not by us. Yeah, and I guess, you know, when it, when it comes to traditional IT, they want to be in control of base data, typically yeah, speaking. So right. they want to be in control of, of prices. They want to be in control of SKUs. Exactly. They want to be in control of the names of the products. They want to be in control. They don't care about the enriched data that's channel specific. They care about the base data and no. making sure that's correct and accurate. And they exactly. want to own that piece. Yep. And so long as they can kind of exactly. own that piece and feed it into you where you decide how it gets enriched from then on out as part of yep. the digital team, then they're usually pretty happy with that. That's right. And that's the way things are moving, you know, and then that's the way it's, it's nimble, it's quick, and everybody then can, and, and you can control your own destiny within your area. And IT are that support organization, digital is that support organization, and so on. So it just works. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? Now, mm. as you pointed out, you, you have held quite a few traditional IT roles historically. I mean, you, yep. your background is a hardcore. IT leader, right? Uh -huh. um, like we're talking IT at the at the C-suite level. Yeah. Now you said you know you you were th kind of thrust into a situation where you, you kind of had to fill this digital role, and it was it was early early days of digital uh -huh. and early days of e-commerce. It was kind of like where does this fit in? So how did you, I guess? get the interest because traditionally really hardcore IT people they don't necessarily it's not a great crossover to try to uh, move into digital right they 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 even speak different languages a hardcore yeah. IT geek speak a very different language to us digital people and so how did you even think man uh, I know I need to make this transition because this is where the world is moving but I've got these these traditional IT skills how am I going to make this jump or why would I even want to so how did you was that a psychological decision first or was it just a circumstantial decision I think what happened was I was never your traditional geeky IT person. I was more your IT business person. So my, my whole philosophy was built around making the business better. IT was there as a service to help you do your job better. So I learned more about the business than, and just had my IT skills as a base to run projects, to set processes up, press, set standards up. But my interest was more in how does the business work? How can I make it more efficient? How can I make it better? So I got very involved in the running of the business. Yeah. So hence to move into a IT role, a, a digital role was quite easy in that sense because it was used to, I was after making sure we were selling, making sure we were getting, you know, making profit. You were running a business anyway. Yeah. So it was easier for me because I wasn't that geeky technical person rebuilding servers. I was the person looking at how can I make the business more efficient. Yeah. So that type of IT person led me into when the digital side was offered and I had some great people under who reported through to me and in the team that knew digital very well and I gained a lot of experience from them and some additional um, studies that made it easier. That, that makes a lot of sense. Now, just to, to make some practical application out of this mm -hmm. uh, for, for the audience, 
if you were if you were a young gun and you were let's say you were 20 or 22 now and mm -hmm. you were looking at the future of the world and you were saying digital is where it's at whether it's VR AR AI regardless it's all going to be you know whether we're doing transactions in a virtual store in a VR a full VR store um, we still have the backbone of digital that underpins all of that we still have product data sure we've got images but maybe we now got got virtual imagery that has to be three-dimensional and things like that but but the core underpinnings and the core um, I guess concepts and technologies behind digital will still drive a lot of that experiential stuff on the front end so if you were young today and you were looking at the world saying IT doesn't really interest me sitting in a server room or even setting up stuff on AWS doesn't interest me whatever but I, I really like digital but I know that I have to acquire some of these pretty hardcore technical skills I have to understand APIs and some of these other things so, but but that's just not an interest how do you would you recommend if you were talking to someone young today what kind of career path or even perhaps even educational path starting before that how do you see them transitioning into that area where they come in with enough technical skills to where they don't they don't they don't start off um, you know short you know on the wrong foot but yeah. but they still really start developing digital specific skills yeah. I think initially what when this is what I used to tell people going into even an IT career learn the business first yeah uh, you know other skills can be acquired you've got to have the right attitude and the right understanding of the business itself so they need to have a bit you know a BA in commerce or you know some sort of business skill or retail skill if they're going, you know, B2B or B2C, understand how it works, understand how the customer works, understand how the business works. Then all the unis now are coming out with um, tailored courses where you don't have to pick a general IT, you know, master's in IT or a degree in IT. You don't have to pick a degree in marketing. You can actually get different um, modules and bring them in to make your own you know, uh, degree. So, you know, you would then be looking at different, you'd be looking at digital marketing skills, you'd be looking at um, system lifecycle development and the, you know, at IT processes rather than the nitty gritty on, on programming and, you know, you don't need all of that stuff, but the overall detail, but not the four year degree. Yeah. You know, you so have you to get understand complete, the concepts, right? That's right. You know, a bit more than a summary. But if you combine the digital a digital marketing degree with an IT degree and just pick the key subjects out, and you you can do that now, um, that's what I would advise. But learn the business first, learn the customer first, and learn how even within yourself how digital works. Set up your own website, sell a few things, see what customers do, see how they buy, see how you've got to advertise it to make some money, see how Facebook ads work. It's not hard. You know, yeah. years ago, people would create a little lemonade stand out the front. Well, you don't do that anymore. You create your own website and start selling it online. That's right. Yeah. 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 And it's just the practical skills that will get you there more than any of the um, the, the other skills. Yeah. And I mean, that would be my advice. I, I, you know, nowadays, you know, it costs you 50 bucks or maybe a couple hundred bucks to set up a Shopify yeah. or a big commerce store, slap a template onto yep. it, you know, set up a, set up a gateway and you go selling, you know, you source yeah. a few products and you, and you start understanding those customer experiences. I mean, that's how I actually got my start in the digital space was, was to set up an e-commerce business. And this is going hmm. back when e-commerce was really difficult to do. You know, yeah. I did it, I did it on OS commerce and everything was difficult. <laughs> everything was difficult. Everything was custom. It was just hard. It, you know, everything yeah. even down to the payment gateway was just a bugger. And 
And mm. nowadays it's almost too easy. And yeah. so therefore you have too much competition from really crappy little shops that are, are actually horrible. And, they, yeah. and and as you say, they don't actually know how to run a business. Um, but that would be my exact advice would be go out and start selling stuff, you know, yeah. um, and, and do it and do it virtually, you know, and you, you taste, taste all of the social media, taste all of the inbound marketing technologies that are out there, you know, start creating content, start driving demand, start understanding the fundamentals of business technology and marketing. And that's the trifecta you got to have. Exactly. Totally. You know, and then, and then, you know, also look at, don't think of it as a pure play. I mean, you know, you've also got to look at in these days, physical is, is part of it. Omnichannel. The omni-channel, you know, a pure play customer is different to your physical customer. And so even though you've got that down pat, you've started selling your, you know, your, your little black dress on the, on the website, um, but you've still got to look at the other side. Go and work in retail for a little while. Go and work in a store. See what it's like. See what it's like to deal with customers. See what the, the processes are and the difficulties are. And that way you get the full picture and then apply it. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Now. On the back side of that trifecta of kind of learning and background that we talked about, there's the trifecta within the in the digital space as I see it as as kind of in terms of career paths. There's lots of roles within digital that you mm. could look to potentially take on. However, there's also the trifecta of of who you work for. So there's the yeah. there's the vendor side, there's the merchant side, okay, mm. and then there's the agency side. Now yeah. you've you've primarily, at least as far as I know, you've always worked merchant side. It's been it's been where your passion is. Um, even mm. when you were in IT, you were working merchant yeah. side. You working weren't working for an agency. You weren't consulting. You weren't working for a vendor that was supplying a technology. Was that a conscious decision or was it something you just felt in your heart I, I align with these merchants and I want to create a great customer experience and, and I'm in charge of making sure this business actually makes money in my IT career I actually tried um, agency side yeah um, I did it for about a year uh, and I was I was so used to implementing ERP systems in you know within businesses that I went agency side and actually became the other you know I was the one coming in and, and helping the business implement. Um, having done it for a number of customers in a year, it was like no 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 no. I like being part of a business. I like being able to be an input into the strategy. I like to be able to own the business and feel part of that team and help it grow. Yeah. And I think that's why I went back to merchant side. Um, in the meantime, and, and, and that's a good thing because, you know, it's, it's yours. It feels, even though it's not my business, I feel part of the business. I have an input. I can have a say. Um, and then that's a good feeling, you know, yeah. it's like, like a team, like a family. But on the other side of it, I do get asked a lot of advice on strategy and where things are going and helping other businesses. And I, I help, you know, it's, I never, you know, I just do that out of, you know, because I like to. Yeah. yeah, but um, I think it's just being part of the business. So um, having tried it many, many years ago, I've never tried it again. Um, but now I've moved more into strategy and, and looking where the business is and where we're going and the transformation rather than the nitty gritty of implementing because I have a team underneath. I can direct it, but I've got a team underneath me. Yeah, I mean, you, your career path, you, you kind of um, took a took a similar track to me, but you did it before me. You blazed the trail, uh, as you have <laughs> in, for many people, I think. And, and, and I had a very similar experience. You know, loved working agency side, loved being an enterprise architect for commerce, loved going in and, and assessing businesses, but very much feeling run and gun, 
you know, going mm. in and, and not really being able to perhaps go as deep as I would like yeah. to go and become really embedded within the business to where, mm. you know, the, 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 the team members really open the kimono wide open. And, and that doesn't generally happen in the first couple of discovery sessions. And so no. for me, uh, I feel exactly like you. I love being deeply embedded in a business, yeah. you know, and, and it's, you know, after that first six months and you're really embedded with the team and everybody trusts you and, and uh, you start becoming involved in the business decisions, mm. not just technology or channels or whatever you actually become you know you become involved in the business decisions that's to right. ensure that the ensure that the business is viable and sustainable exactly you know and then that's great because you get a really good feeling out of it you know that you are like we got five brands like every night i'm checking google i'm checking orders and i'm just seeing how sales are going you know if it wasn't my business if it wasn't if i wasn't embedded in the business i wouldn't do that you know? yeah it's, um and it's a good feeling yeah it's it's very rewarding for sure yeah. definitely um and um you know, you seem to have an absolute passion for fashion for a start off. Um, you know, clearly you've, you've, you've worked for all, uh, pretty much all the majors in Australian fashion when it comes mm -hmm. to the big retailers. Um, what was, what, once again, was that circumstantial or are you just, uh, you love to be a clothes horse a bit and you love, you love the, the style, the fashion, the flair. Cause mm -hmm. you, you've got a, you've got a pretty wild personality. You're pretty yeah. out there. And, and maybe, maybe that fits well with your personality. Or do you just love fashion? I think, look, uh, initially I started off in cars. My first job was for Volvo Australia. Yep. Um, but after that, I moved into into the fashion space, and fashion is a unique business. Fashion, you uh, look. I, I like clothes. I mean, I'm not going to deny it. I have a, a four bedroom house that's got every wardrobe in it full of my clothes. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I have plenty of clothes. But um, I think the good thing about fashion is it's vibrant. It's very fast moving. Yeah. Um, you've got lots of young creative people who question who look at things differently, who you're designing all the time, so the product is always different. And just to be surrounded with these young creative people keeps you young. You know, yeah. and, and it's just a vibrant energy. And I'm working and I've worked in consumer electronics for a little while, I worked in food for a little while. That energy's not there. In fact yeah. the energy's there. And that's fun to work in. Yeah, I mean, I guess you've got, you know, you've got seasonality, you've got trends, you've got fads, you've got, yeah. you know, you've got, you've got so many things that you're never, ever going to be bored in fashion, mm. right? That's right, totally. And you get to try the stuff on, you know, and, and you get to, obviously, you get access to a lot of the stuff. But, um, you know, in, in a couple of roles where you, you'd be one of the fit models and they'd be trying clothes on you, making sure it all fits and you access the samples and, and seeing what the latest stuff out there is overseas and you're seeing it first because you're part of the team building. So it's good. Fun. Yeah, cool. Uh, that, 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 I like that. I like that. I like that a lot. I think, you know, you got to be working in an industry that you got a natural affinity for yeah. and passion for because otherwise you're not going to, you, you're just not going to have the staying power to stay with those brands. That's just, that's, no. or in that vertical, you're just not going to stay there. It's, it's no. the way it is, right? You got to actually have a natural affinity for it, I think. Yeah, no, I think so. I mean, it's, it's great. And, and because you build that, that experience up in the industry, you actually have a lot to offer. Yeah. You know, so my first role within Pacific Brands, I mean, we had a lot of stuff with wholesale. I was working in China, working in factories, helping set up systems and on, at the factory floor, you know, and to see that years, so many years ago, and then, you know, the old laser cutting machines like Gerber and Lecture and to see all of those things and, and to see where it is now, it's amazing. So now we, we outsource our factories here, but so we don't get involved in that. But I know exactly how things are made right from scratch, right from the word go. So when they do start talking about it, I know every start, bit from start to finish of the garment. Yeah. 
And so you understand that and you just feel part of the business and you have input into the, the you know, when they're talking about fashions and looking at the new stuff that um, you can have input into that. Yeah. So it, once again, just adds to the rewarding yeah. part of the job as opposed to just, oh, I come and I make sure we sell stuff online. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> which, which, of course, you still have to do that too, but, yeah, you know. Yeah, you're going to sell it. <laughs> now, you recently won the Magento Trailblazer Award. I was at uh, Magento Live and saw you uh, accept right. your uh, yeah. reward and that, uh, award on stage. And that was, that was for me, that was, you know, I almost felt like I had a, 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 a voyeuristic stake in your award, it was like, you know, uh, you know, I think we met originally, you know, a few years ago when I was still working agency side and we were talking about Magenta deployments and a few other things. But, you know, it was, you know, I've, I've followed you pretty closely even since then and, and obviously tracked your career and, and sort of seen where you've moved. And, you know, you were a big, huge demand where uh, fan back in the day and, and you know, you, you, you had some really solid deployments of demand where, you know, big fan of SaaS, but yet also, you know, had had some big experience with Magenta historically as well. You've obviously gone on to Magento 2 now. Uh, and, and, you know, I guess my question is, did it feel like uh, you were finally, I guess, getting recognized by the mothership, so to speak, of Magento for all the work, all the effort, all the time, all the commitment you've put into both their platform, um, being a bit of evangelist, if you will, for, for their platform, because they, they kind of hold you up on a pedestal as, mm-hmm. as a big player in the Magento space, and rightly so. Did you feel like it was like, Oh, this is recognition of a job pretty well done. And actually, you know, I've been in this for a while and, and, and I have worked actually pretty hard for this. I think it was a, like a, it was a shock, like um, when you go to these things and all of a sudden to be, to be called up. And um, it was like Gary, who, who also won the award, he's a fantastic guy. He's, a, he's great at what he does. Um, I, think, I think in the end it was all about, you know, you, you and I, we've always talked about a vision where we want to take a business, what we want to do. And, and we get frustrated with things when, when we can't get it done. And um, Magento, when we picked Magento 2, it was all about, we were sharing this vision with a lot of the key execs at Magento, where we wanted to take the platform. They could see that we had a vision. And I think that was part of it as well with the award, that they, they knew previous history that I, I was good at accomplishing things, but knowing that here, this guy's got a vision that he wants to take this business and we can help him along the way, and uh, I think it was a bit of that as well. It was all about the vision, where we want to be, and recognizing, you know, the, the advantages of Magento and the ease of integration and the APIs and other systems that we can bring forward to just bring this whole platform together. Yeah. And I think that was part of it. Uh, you know, it's a, yeah, I, I'm not one who, who likes to go, you know, step on a pedestal or anything like that. I was greatly appreciated. Uh, we've done a lot of work to get there, but I still, I think we've still got a lot of work to go to prove that, yeah, it was worthy of. So um, I think it'll be, good, it'll be a good ride, and I'll, I was very honoured to get it. Great. Well, congratulations. You bloody well deserve it, I think, uh, you know, a couple times over. So very exciting. You know, now you were obviously at the cutting edge of Magento 2. Magento 2, it's well known that they had some big challenges, platform challenges. It was late to market for a few years. Uh, you know, they've had their challenge with Magento 2. Magento 2, it's well known that they had some big challenges, platform challenges. It was late to market for a few years. Uh, you know, they've had their challenges with Magento 2, and they've had challenges with their partners adopting the platform and merchants adopting the platform. You were a little bit early. You were, you were at a reasonably bleeding edge place with Magento 2. 
maybe you can just very briefly speak to any of the challenges maybe that you faced during implementation and you know kind of how you you don't even have to mention your the partner that you worked with it doesn't really oh. matter but unless you just so choose to but but you know how do you how have you dealt when you're talking large scale projects like this that run you know typically they're going to run anywhere from sort of 6 to 12 months they're yep. not small they they require a tremendous amount of internal change management um, and you know being at that bleeding edge you probably got cut a little bit more than most. Um, so how did you deal with those challenges when they arose? Did you encounter many challenges? And how did you kind of, I guess, try to strike that balance between dealing with your partner, with the vendor, and making sure things just actually happened in the end? Yeah, I think um, we were prepared, I mean, knowing that we were going into a brand new platform. And um, so we knew there would be some challenges. And you know we'd be foolish to think otherwise. We did we did um, plan for that in in the initial planning. So um, you know we allowed a few extra. It was really only a few extra weeks. That if we had to, obviously they were going to bring out more upgrades more quickly than they would generally. So you know as they found things are quickly upgrading, and so then you have to do regression testing and all this stuff. So we did a, we did allow for that. There was only about three of those during the the initial implementation. Um, there were some things that we found that were like errors in um, one of the promotion modules and so on. And I kind of would be, hey, we can't go live with this. We're a retailer. We've got to be able to sell these things. But our partner, and I will mention them, Netstarter, yep. I mean, they were fantastic. They, if, if it couldn't be fixed quickly at Magento, Netstarter fixed it themselves. Great. And then so the project could still continue. They knew we had some deadlines to meet. We wanted to get a uh, brand up before Christmas so we could see the brand trade over Christmas on the new platform. And um, it was planned. We still went live on the day, on that week that we said we would go live. We planned for it all. We're still doing upgrades at the moment, but they're properly regression tested. And I mean, I, I didn't have as many issues with the new platform that I thought I would. Right. There's only one issue that I escalated to the state, um, and that was um, and that's being resolved now. But it wasn't a showstopper. It was more so it was a um, an error on the way um, products are sorted on the website. So when you yep. filter by price, um, but they they recognised it. They found the error. It's been it's been it's a P zero now. It's been worked on. And so there was no issue. But Magento themselves in the states have been very very open with it. And they've been very um, react receptive to us calling them and talking to them. And we were having weekly calls with them to see where it was at. And they're more than happy to help. So that everybody, I mean, I know we're early adopters and they want to help, so we're going to be evangelists for them. But in the end, it was still good to get that sort of support and yeah. not think, oh, you're down under, you know, nobody cares. You know, it's all about the American customers. Well, it's not. Well, I don't think it can be in Australia when you've no. got a 40, 40 plus percent penetration rate of, of, right. of Magento in the market. It's not. And they realize you know, that. We're not a second class citizen no. down in this, in this part of the world, especially when oh. it comes to Magento. We're not a second yeah. class citizen. And I think, I think that's indicative of a, of a, of a vendor that's, you know, I think been, been burnt a little bit. And I, I'll, I'll get two thoughts from you. One is, you brought up a very good point. So I know Justin and, and the team at NetStarter really, really well. Yep, we yep. Go, go to all the same events and, you know, we're all, we're all part of the same 
I guess, traveling circus, if you will, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. at all these events. We all know each other. We all talk at different events. And, and it's a great, I love the camaraderie, actually. Mm. Sure, we might be competitors in certain senses in different areas. But, you know, at the end of the day, we all want to grow the space. We all want to make digital uh, the best that it can be. We all mm. want to stand on the shoulders of giants. And, and that's just the way that it is. And I, and I find that that attitude down here in this part of the world to be absolutely the norm. You mm. don't get many pariahs down here. People are very open. You know, when you go to the merchant-to-merchant -merchant sessions at any of these events, those are the best sessions of the entire day versus the pontification from the stage. Um, and I've just really found that. Now, now on the back of that, how important in your experience has selecting the right partners to work with Ben versus selecting the right technology? If you were to weigh on balance which one is maybe more important, uh, but speak to the importance of both of those. Look, I think um, they're both very important. Um, if you don't get on, it's like any business relationship, even a supplier. If you don't get on with a supplier, it's never going to work. Um, any project that you do, if you're not getting on with the project team, it's never going to work. So even when we uh, we went to uh, we did our RFP, um, when we got down to the final stages, I wanted to meet the project manager of each of who would be assigned to us. <coughs> Because I wanted to know that I would get on with that person. If yeah. I didn't, if I didn't, then then I would immediately say that I want someone else assigned to it, and I want to meet them and interview them until I'm happy. Um, and that's the way it's got to be. Um, so we had a great time with the the actual um, project team and NetStarter. Mm -hmm. um, so that's really important. Both are as important as each other. I mean, the platform has to work. We and again, we went through a very intensive RFP process. And uh, we got down to two, mm -hmm. and um, and and look, the, the Magento platform was right for us as a business. And look, and, and again, if we did the RFP again, and we'll do it again in three or four years, just to keep people honest, and we like to just make sure that everything's out there and, and above board. Um, but again, the platform was right, but the the partner is is so so important because if you don't get on, if you don't make them feel part of the business. And we found every discovery session, and I've never had this before, it was so collaborative, it was amazing. I had my team in the discovery session, I had the next starter team in the discovery session. We would ask for one thing, they would say, well, we do it this way or we can do it that way. And we would have a proper discussion, no arguing, no nothing. It would be really, really good input from everybody. And we would come out with a solution that everybody agreed to, and I've never had that before. Yeah. It's either you have a lot of co a lot of suppliers will go or agencies will go it's my way or the highway. Yeah. Or you've got a lot of customers saying it's my way or the highway. Here it was such a collaborative event. It was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. And even my team were commenting on how good it was. So and that was really important to us because then. I mean, yeah. When you when you strike that balance and you really do oh. connect on a personal level and and a, and a process level to a degree because they have oh. to have processes that support that that approach. Yeah. Um, what if you were to, to make two maybe three recommendations when you're looking for a partner, quite apart from the personality or potential personality clashes that you want to avoid, oh. and you know you want to make sure that you can on a, on a personal level get along with the people that you oh. have to work with on a daily basis and have weekly whips with and everything else. If there was two or three really stand out things apart from the whole you know convoluted RFP process there was two or three really nuggets of, of, of recommendations that you would make when you're looking for a partner in the digital space what would those two or three nuggets be in your experience um, I think uh, look number one I'm gonna mention personality because it is yeah. um, but number two it's all about digital space 
what would those two or three nuggets be in your experience? Um, I think, uh, look, number one, I'm going to mention personality because it is. Yeah. Um, but number two, it's all about it's, it's talking to them and, and really understanding how they how they work. Because you can quickly tell with someone whether they're going to be, uh, it's all about me or it's all about you, you know, or it's all about the business. You can quickly, uh, you know, sum up a person like that. But I think someone who comes into the business and has already investigated your business, has been out to your stores and can tell you something about the business, um, always strikes, uh, you know, is, is a winner for me because they're already interested in, in, in wanting to be part of it. Yeah. And so I find where, you know, and we had that with um, the Netstarter board online. They wanted to see how we worked. And yeah. If someone comes in and they make, they, if you can see they're making the effort, that, that's a big, big tick for me. Yeah. And um, you can actually see that they're interested and they've got to be interested in your business. They've got to be interested in helping us make money. Yeah. Yep. And, and I guess so also be as interested in your customer as you are. That's right. Yeah, and you know, and we're not the and I like a, also to have a customer who's dealt with other industries as well. Yeah. Because um, even though Netstutter have done have done fashion, but they've also done other industries as well. Because the last thing I want to do all the time is get advice from other fashion people. I like to see well, what can an airline do, or what can a food manufacturer do? Because hey, maybe it'll work in fashion. Nobody's ever thought of it, but maybe it'll work. Yeah. So I like them to bring in ideas and show me, well, what about this and what about it, and be a bit innovative and challenge me. Yeah. I mean, I think that that cross-pollination of ideas across verticals is so critical. I 100% agree with you. Now, when, when it comes to technology, right, so obviously an ag agency can't know about every single commerce technology on yeah. the market so they tend to pick winners and losers they tend to support one two pieces of technology in every single function whether it be site search e-commerce you know marketing automation whatever they, they they pick a couple that they partner with and then they support and, and upskill on those platforms how important in your opinion do you think it is for them to stay on the cutting edge of what is available in the market investigate it and bring it to your attention in terms of innovation versus used to keeping up to speed with that and you bringing it to them and saying, hey, look, guys, have you thought about this yet? Have you heard of this yet? Um, do you want to do a little bit of investigation? We can do this together. Maybe we'll look at adopting it and covering some of your costs to, to bring it on board. How collaborative do you think that needs to be? Or where do you think the innovation uh, from a technology and an, an experiential perspective, where does that need to be led from? Does it need to be led from you as the merchant or from them as the partner? I think it depends. I mean, I like to challenge them. And I like them to come to me with, hey, we found this. So I think it's got to be both because a lot of the time um, I as a merchant will see something and I don't want to be just pigeonholed into what they can support. Yeah. So, um, so quite often, you know, I'll say, well, I want to have a look at this type of a solution. What do you support and what else is in the market? Because yeah. in the end, you've got to, I want, I'm going to pick the, the solution, not you. Yes. So um, it has to be both ways, totally. And so you have to have enough skill and knowledge to be able to go out there, go to these conferences, go out to market, see what's out there and say, well, you know what, you don't support this yet, but I like this solution better than yours, so how are you going to make this work for me? Yep. Yep. I, I, I totally agree. I mean, you know, businesses that are agencies, look, they, they, they're very typically very project-driven and, and mm. they're very um, 
you know, they're, they respond to the demand of the merchants that are working with them. Yeah. And, you know, so it, it's difficult for them to necessarily justify a huge expansion upskilling on a product that may or may not be picked up by their merchants. So, right. you know, I think there is a bit of give and take there. Mm-hmm. You know, if they can have project-based work that can kind of justify that expenditure mm-hmm. uh, in their upskilling uh, and, and applying uh, and building a practice around that platform. Because nowadays, most products do require you to actually build an internal practice around that platform. Yeah, yeah, if, yeah. if you want to support it properly, you got to have a team around it. It's that simple. It. That's right. yeah. um, so you kind of got to bite the bullet. So I, I totally agree with you. It's got to be a collaborative effort. You can't rely on a partner. I think you've got to be active enough in the space that you aren't being led around by your nose like a puppy dog because uh, mm-hmm. then you kind of open yourself up to being taken advantage of. Not that partners totally. necessarily yeah. will, but you need to be able to ask the hard questions. Exactly. And I think you only you only do that when you know enough and maybe you've even done trial trials of products, you've had proper demos, you've gone enough down the rabbit hole that you know the key gotchas or potential gotchas if you do go with that execution and then that's when you can ask the really tough questions of the partner. Totally, yeah, yeah, that's right. And then that's when you find you've got a true partner where you're both equally inputting in to that partnership. Yep. So, you know, I, I had Netstarter out today discussing another solution, you know, that, um, okay, guys, We've got the first one, we've got another four sites that we're rolling out, but hey, I, I'm happy with that, so now I want to move on to the next phase, let's start investigating this. So what can you give me, and this is what I know is out there. So we had exactly that same discussion today. And so they're going to go out and do some more homework, and so am I, and then we'll come back. That's, 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 uh, that's a, you know, and, that, and, that, and then you feel like with enough smart heads around the table, you do yeah. actually come up with the best solution in the end. Exactly, totally, because you can't rely on just yourself, but you no. are getting that input from everybody else, and they're our partner, and that's who we pick to be our partner, and I value their, their input, and they value ours, so it's good. Good collaboration. Is there, oh. anyone, is there anyone in the digital space, and it doesn't have to be you know merchant side necessarily, but is there anybody in the digital space right now in our part of the world that you really look up to and you admire and you say, look, these this person, this woman, this man, whoever, they really are really blazing a, a real path and really upping the game for all of us and taking it to the rest of us and making sure that we're on our toes, you know, from either from the merchant side or the agency side or maybe even the vendor side, heaven forbid. But is there anybody really out there that you go, these got, this person is really shaking up the space and really making every one of us be accountable to up our game and make sure we're at the top of our game all the time? Um... I don't know. Oh, that's a hard one. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think I don't particularly look at people. Yeah. I look at businesses. Yeah. And I look at um I look at because people change the the staff change so many times like so much. So I look at someone might have started a vision in one business and they might have been fantastic, but they've already moved on. But then you've got these people who are executing it. So I tend to more follow the businesses, and I tend to more follow um like if I was to pick one in Australia. It would be um, appliances online. Right. I mean, I think the guys there are doing a fantastic job on the way they're doing it. They no holds barred. They'll try anything. They're out there. It's all about the customer, and they're really, really customer focused, and they're not afraid of technology. If I was to look at overseas, I genuinely look to the UK. Yeah. Um, because I find the UK people, um, retailers, they. They start and finish something. Yeah. So they, what I found, you know, the John Lewis, the Marks and Spencers and, and House of Fraser, when they say they're going to implement something, it is implemented from A to Z. Yes. Whereas the UK, the US companies, they tend to do maybe A to F. 
Yeah. And they forget about the rest. And they're like, hey, we're doing all this stuff. But when we go over and visit, it doesn't work. It's not to our expectations. So, you know, I had this classic example of going into a cafe um, in a big department store in New York. They had sat down. It was a big department store, big cafe in the middle. Had all these um, screens. So sitting, you're sitting at a big bar. You could see all the screens. You could surf the internet. And I said, this is fantastic. Can I buy something and you'll deliver it to me in the coffee shop? Oh, no, you can't do that. Wow. What's the point? You know, whereas if I was in if I was in John Lewis or House of Fraser, I could have done that or Selfridges, you know, because they would have taken it to that next level. Yes. And that's why I tend to, to look more towards the UK retailers because they do have that process filled completely. And it's not just in one part of the UK, you know, whereas in, in the US you can only find all the, any of this technology stuff in New York. Yeah, and uh, it's funny because I, I think of it as being a lot of the American merchants are half pregnant. That's kind of how I that's kind of how yeah. I term it, and and I yeah. think that's partly driven by the quarterly life and death of CXOs, uh, yeah. as as in the C suite, they live and die by the quarter, and if the numbers don't hit, then they can be literally mid stride yeah. and they're gone, right? And yeah. so yeah. Br continuity in especially publicly traded companies in America, mm. you just don't see a lot of it, and you don't you don't no. see it anywhere in the C suite. Not just the CEO, people are just history, and oh, yeah. it, it, it must be really really difficult in that kind of environment where you say, you know, you and I are probably realistic enough to say, well, look. Over the next 12 months, we're going to take one step back to take two steps forward, and we're actually going to consolidate. It's going to take us 12 months to roll out this stack and do it properly, launch properly and successfully. But at the end of that, we're going to have a whole lot more scalability. We're going to have a whole lot more flexibility, and ultimately what it's going to create for the customer is an amazing experience that stands out. And, mm -hmm. and so we're willing to, to live through that pain, and, 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 and I guess it's about change management and communication to the, the CXO level to make sure that they're very aware uh, of what's going to happen, what timeframes are realistic, and then what they can expect on the backside of that. So how, how do you, when you take a large scale project like this with a large budget attached to it, and sure you've got your RP presses and everything else, but how do you start to not just build your business case, but how do you start early on communicating that up the chain so that it doesn't come as a surprise to anyone? You're kind of feathering your nest pretty early on. Yeah. I think what we do, like especially for this one, uh, when we were replatforming, you know, People would come up to me and say, you know, why is this happening? Why isn't this happening? Why can't we do this and why can't we do that? And it's basically, well, it's the platform. Yeah. Basically, we can't do these things because of this. So, you know, you start planting the seed and you start planting, well, look at that, what that retailer can do and what, you know, what's happening here. If we could do this, we could increase conversions by this. We could drive traffic to that, but we don't have those skills. But, you know, we will take this to the nth degree of where we can take it, but if you want to go for the next level, this is what we need to do. So we started planting the seeds early, and so by the time that we actually put the um, the the RFP done and the ROI and the business case up, it was a no-brainer. Yeah. Because we'd already prepared the business for guys. We've got to get to this point where this isn't going to last much longer. Yeah. And because they were asking for things that we could not supply, so it yeah. was quite you know. And that's what you do. You just start planting those seeds because then once the seeds are planted, as you say they'll start realizing and they know it, eventually it is going to come up. Yeah. And they should be questioning me saying, well, when are you going to do it? Yeah, <laughs> just make it happen. Just yeah. here's, here's the money, <laughs> make it happen, and make it happen yesterday. That's right, that's yeah. right.
<laughs> so how do you how do you personally stay up with digital trends? I mean, obviously, you know, how much do you shop online yourself personally? You know, with not just with your own brand, but with other brands. How do you stay up with kind of uh, the, the the consumer expectations that are in the market, but also what's available out there in terms of of um, I guess innovation and and new technologies hitting the market. Uh, and obviously, with SaaS becoming such a big deal, there's there's new technologies hitting the market literally every single day that are quite transformative. So how do you stay on the cutting edge yourself? So that you are the digital leader for the business. Um, look, I obviously I, I online I shop online a lot. I think the only thing I don't buy online is my groceries. Yeah, everything, everything else is done online. And I would buy my groceries if it was a refrigerated locker that I could pick it up on the way home. But um, other than that, look, everything is online. Um, to keep up with technology, I mean, I'm constantly reading, mm -hmm. um, you know, on blogs and I'm a member of lots of user groups that I'm getting information from. LinkedIn is a great start. Listening to stuff like podcasts, you know, through, through the coalface and so on. You get lots of those things that you can listen to in the car on the way home, things like that. I go to a fair amount of conferences. I usually go to two a year overseas, yeah. so I make sure we follow the ones overseas. That's where we're learning from. Yeah, and they're generally not the same conference every year. I'll, I'll alternate, so you know, um, I might go to NRF every three years. I might go Internet Retailer every second year, and so on. So, um, and Chop.org, the new one, Chop, um, Chop Talk, looks fantastic. I've talked to a few um, people, and they reckon it's great. So, I think I, we learn more from those, mm -hmm. and then we would do it a local. Arena, there, um, we have a lot of user groups here. We created, myself and a couple of other people in the industry have created their own little user group. Um, and there, uh, we've just got a group of e-com and digital people that we meet occasionally. We have lunch or we have dinner, we discuss things. And it's this closed group that we can actually ask each other questions. What do you think about this? What are you doing this? No vendors involved, no nothing. We can be open and honest and we're not competitive. Yeah. So, um, so we learn a lot from each other as well. Um, I have a great team under me who have their own specialties. So, you know, have my own SEO, SEM person in the team, uh, content and then e-com and so on. They all have a great interest. They do a lot of research as well. So then they'll bring it up with the team and we often share all of these ideas together. So it's a good team learning experience as well. And then that's all you can do. And I mean, you see what other people are doing. If I read all the time and research all the time, I'd never get any work done. No, but, no. <laughs> But I think a lot of it comes down to practicality. Yeah. A lot of it comes down to practicality. And I mean, when we look at new software and we look at new technologies, the first thing I say is, how would that work in our business? And, uh, you know, a lot of the time when you're talking um, in-store technology, mm -hmm. people turn around and say, yeah, we're going to give iPads or tablets to all of the store staff and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And I said, but they're going to get stolen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so... There's a pragmatic side. Exactly. I said our customer, our customer service people are going to put it down while they're getting clothes off the rack and the next minute it's going to be gone. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, people don't think of those things, you know, and um, who's going to support it? If you put, if I put a tablet in every one of our 400 stores, I'm going to have to employ more IT people just to support them. Yes. So things like that. So you've got to look at things very, very pragmatically, realistically, and say, you know, that's for me, that's not for me. And you can quickly nip things in the bud straight away. Yeah, I mean, that leads kind of really neatly and elegantly into my next question, which is how important do you think it is to have a really good mix of kind of gray hairs in the business and sort of young bucks in the business and young kids in the business that keep it kind of fresh and hungry 
but you need the wisdom of the ancients, so to speak, to, to be a steady guiding hand that has the experience to back up what they know, uh, as opposed to the theory of the young guys. Uh, and they haven't actually necessarily been in the trenches in mm -hmm. some really hard projects, dealing with hard vendors, dealing with hard you know, agencies, dealing with really, really challenging deadlines and budget overruns and project management. So that, you know, the young guys, they don't have the benefit of that level of experience. Now, I, speaking for myself, coming from the agency side where the stress was the highest level of chronic stress I've ever experienced in my life, um, coming to back to merchant side again, there's almost nothing that I experience on a day-to-day -day basis in the merchant side that stresses me out. Yeah, yeah. sure, there's, there's challenges, but I find it actually really easy in comparison. I, I, it, but it's all frame of reference, right? And, mm. and so for, for young people maybe that have only ever worked merchant side, they don't really have that broader rate, frame of reference, so things can get quite stressful pretty fast mm. for them. So how do you strike that balance, or how important do you think it is that businesses do actually strike that balance? Look, I think it, it, I mean, I'm, I'm probably biased, but I think, um, and, and it is, it is extremely important because we'll go through projects where some of my team are all young. Yeah. You know, I'm the oldest one in the team. Um, but you know, they'll bring a, I learn a lot from them, mm -hmm. but we've, we've all got to be treated as equals. They know that, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm running the team, but they also know I'm part of the team. Yeah. And I value their decision. I value their input. We all have collaborative talks. Everybody respects each other. But when things are tough and they need someone just to say, hey, hold on a minute, why do you think we're doing this? And just pull things back a bit and say, this is how it's going to work and this is how we should do it. Then they realize the wisdom and the experience that you could only do it. Or you'll deal with something in a certain way and they'll turn around and say, wow, this is why you're the boss. You know, like, <laughs> That's pretty cool. We learn, and I'm going to learn that. And I said, well, and then you'll go through the process and say, well, this is why we did it this way because we would have followed your track. We never would have got the outcome that we needed. But by doing it this way, everybody's going to be happy yeah. and we're going to get the right outcome. And that only comes with experience. It, and, and it does. It, yeah. You can't learn that. It comes with experience. And the young bucks. They're too busy going headstrong into the next project before they finish the first one because they found something else that they want to do. And it's pull the reins back a bit, let's do this. It's and the shiny objects and yeah, yeah, and it's very important, but because you've got to teach them the whys and hows, so that will help them build their career. So when they move forward, they know why that you yeah. do things a certain way. And you can only get that through experience. And I got that through learning from my mentors and my experience to other people as I grew in my career. Yeah. The, the, the silverback gorilla mentality, right? Yeah, like yeah, you, yeah. You, you, you watch them and you learn and you observe yeah. and you go, right, okay, when I go into a, a meeting and I'm around a large boardroom table, I mean, because I remember when I first started working agency side, you know, going into large boardroom tables where it was all CXO level people around, oh. I was the first couple of times I did that. I was severely intimidated, and I'm not. I mean, I got a pretty out there personality, so I don't get, get intimidated by much. But I didn't kind of understand just the general process of how these things work. You know, yeah. how presentations work, how they're going to respond, the kind of questions you're going to get. I, I didn't understand kind of the, the the standard decorum that you follow when you're when you're when you're at operating at that level. It was all new to me, and it was all pretty scary. Um, oh. So I so I, I mostly tried to keep my mouth as shut as possible <laughs> and just. Really try to observe and and you know speaking to your point you know it, it's 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 definitely it's a learning curve uh, oh, especially totally. dealing at the at the higher ends of business it's it's a real learning curve and it's also in teaching them how to talk to people yeah um and communication skills I mean these guys and all the young people it's all about email it's all about texting and messaging and so on 
But I often say to them, you're not going to get your message across. It depends what mood that person's in and how yep. they're going to read it. Why don't you just walk around the corner and talk to them and discuss the situation and then come back to me with the solution? Yeah. And they'll do that. Oh, that was easy. You know, yeah. but in, in, to them, they don't want to walk around. They don't want to talk to people. They just want to tap, tap, tap away and do messaging. Yeah. And, and, and then, uh, you prove to them in some instances that's the way it works. Yes. But in other areas, it's not. You have to make that personal approach. And they wouldn't have thought of doing it that way. So, you know, and again, it just comes with experience. That's right. I, I kind of have a rule. Uh, if it's in JIRA, for example, and I'm dealing with a, with a partner, if it takes anything more than about four comments to sort something out, pick up the bloody telephone and, exactly. and, 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 or go for a coffee and sort it out yeah. over coffee because, because that human touch, there's just no replacing that. Yeah. Slack is great and JIRA is great and Confluence is great and all the, these tools, these messaging yeah. tools, Skype is great, everything's great, but you just cannot replace human communication. Uh. No, and once you really start get tapping away, and you just get madder and madder. So I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that's so true. That's so true. <laughs> you can hear by the sound of the keyboard. Yeah, but, it gets um, harder and, and harder in the office. Yeah, because you're interpreting what that other person's thinking, and really, they couldn't might not be thinking that at all. So um, <laughs> yeah, get off your bum, walk around the corner. That's right. That's right. Well, listen, um, I appreciate your time. I've taken a huge amount of your time and I appreciate your generosity. One final question and then, uh, and then I'd love to do, you know, maybe in another couple of months or whenever you've got some time, I'd love to do this again because uh, the time's flown by. It's been so great talking to you. You're yeah, just no. such a, a wealth of knowledge and information. But, you know, what are some key goals that you'd like to accomplish say, over the next one to two years, both personally maybe and, and professionally? What are some of the things you'd like to, to look back on in one to two years' time and say, hey, I, I was part of that and it feels really, really good and I have that sense of accomplishment that's part of that? I think uh, my challenges for the next, you know, maybe, you know, 12 to 18 months, let's get the, the new websites underway. I've mm -hmm. been fully implemented. I want to see that go through. We're in, in the middle of a big transformation on Omnichannel, yeah. so, we're, so we've done part of it, but we've got 400 stores, there's a lot of training, <laughs> there's a lot of culture change, there's a lot of things, so I want to really move and drive that and prove to people that it's not all about digital, it's not all about physical, it's all about the one. Um, I've got some brilliant ideas on what we want to do out in, in, in the, the physical space, yeah. and I just want to see that come to fruition. You know, I want to be able to someone to walk in the store and it doesn't matter where that stuff's coming from, that they can have it delivered to home, take it from the store, whatever, and I don't have staff complaining that they didn't get the commission or somebody else didn't get the commission and so on. I want to be able to just be part of all of that and really transform the business and I think that's going to take the two years. <laughs> <laughs> but we had to lay the foundations and I mean, and the, the other parties that we've started Ever since I started, we've started building the foundation of a great database of our customers. Yeah. And I want to then get to the next stage of that personalization. So, um, you know, to be able to know what they're buying, when they're buying, what's coming up, what they need to do, how they, um, you know, what they should buy next rather than I should know when the, the suit comes along, you know, suit, when they should, so they're ready to buy another suit, you know. So it's that, all that part as well, the personalization and omni-channel. Foundations are there, now it's just building the house. Fantastic. The next time we talk, I think what I'd like to get into a little bit more is, is where you think the future of digital is headed, what you think some of the key uh, transformational experiences for the customer experience look like, what kind of technologies are going to need to be in place to support that. That's maybe the direction we could go maybe the next time we yeah. chat. <laughs> and and I, uh, I really appreciate your time. This has just been, just been awesome. So I hope you will uh, join me again at some stage, uh, some stage in the next few months or something. Not a problem, man. Anytime.